0: Well, good morning, Mount Horeb. Good morning. morning. It's so good to be with you again. The privilege is mine. Good morning, Chi Alpha. Yes, yes, sir. It's been such a special weekend to be with them for three sessions. And I just want to say to the parents of these students, good job. Good job. Thank you so much. For uh, the love and the care and the nurture that you have given them, it shows, it shows. So thank you so much. What a special weekend to be here, and we are continuing our series on tensions, and I don't know about you, but I've never felt so much tension around how do you greet somebody anymore. You know, you go for the handshake, and no, that's not right, so you pull it into the fist bump, and people are pulling back from that, so you do the elbow, but that feels super awkward, and so it's just kind of like, hey, what's, what's going on? How are you? It's good to be here with you today. It's so much tension, and this is the third time that I will have been to Mount Horeb in a matter of about six months And uh, I didn't bring my wife for the first two times because I knew that once you met her and I introduced her to you, that you would forget about me. (laughs) And I could not handle that tension. And so I am privileged to be with her this weekend and she with me. And it's just been a wonderful weekend. And speaking of tensions, one of the students said to me last night, she goes, hey, are you preaching at big church tomorrow? And I said, I think so if this is big church, and she said, well, my parents are coming for the first time to Mount Horeb, and if they like it, they might come back, so no pressure. (laughs) Tension, tension. And when we think about tensions, theological tensions, practical relational tensions throughout church history, one of the scriptures that often gets brought up is 1 Corinthians 10, 23, and it says this, I have the right to do anything, but not everything's beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. And uh, you know, you can see this taken to a level, uh, and I'd like to illustrate with a few pictures. For example, you have the right, guys, to wear socks and Crocs. (laughs) But I would question whether it's very beneficial. Also, this is a real thing, this is not a joke, this is a new style for guys, a male romper. A male romper. Come on, you have a right, maybe, but it's not very beneficial. And then I don't know if you've ever seen somebody on the highway driving and maybe they just, you know, didn't wanna get a moving truck. You have a right, but I don't think it's very beneficial but what about in issues within the body of Christ? What about with our brothers and sisters? What about um, in the realm of Christian behavior where it's not exactly clear what we're supposed to do? Where it's not black and white, this is a clear command of God or way of God or rhythm of God. Where it's a little bit gray, how are we to conduct ourselves? This is, falls under the category of what is often called Christian liberties, Christian freedom. Some of the things in recent church history may uh, revolve around questions like this. How are we free to dress? How is a Christian free to express themselves? Maybe issues around modesty, what is the Christian free to do around entertainment? How, what, what can they uh, be a part of, what can they watch, what can they listen to? What is the Christian to do around food and certain types of drink? These are just a few examples, they're not the catch all. But when it's not exactly clear, how are we to conduct ourselves and there's tension there because I imagine in this room, there are many different decisions, many different preferences. And many differences on these issues. But guess what? Our differences on this don't have to divide us. Our differences on this do not have to divide us. I was invited by a local private Christian high school to come be a chapel speaker a few years ago. And they wanted to meet ahead of time to go over some protocol and requirements for the chapel and what they wanted from me and what they expected and just to get to know them and and, and such. And so I showed up and I'm meeting with a couple of faculty and they say, hey, we meet on Thursdays, 8 a.m. in the gym. You'll be speaking to about 600 students from sixth grade to 12th grade. I thought that's a tall order in itself. And so we began to discuss what the chapel would look like and just where, where I was theologically, where they were, and just to see if it was a good fit. And we were lining up and everything was great. And then they said this, okay, but there's one more thing. One standard that we have for our students is that we don't allow them to have visible tattoos or piercings. And the room got quiet because I had both of those in the meeting. And there was tension. Tension from them, what's he gonna say? How's he gonna respond? How will he handle himself in this? Tension from me, oh, what do they think about me? Are they judging me right now? How are they perceiving me? Do they want me to go forward? And there was tension in the room. And what do we do when it's not exactly clear from Scripture how we are to conduct ourselves? When it's not exactly black and white, when it's something of the gray. And today, what I'd like to do is not to give you a bunch of detailed, here's how you do this and here's how you do this and this is how you conduct yourself because in a room this size, that would get so messy. But what I'd like to do is just give you some maybe 20,000 foot principles to say, here is what we ought to be thinking about as we continue to go forward in the area of Christian liberty. There's a quote. No one really knows who it's by, but it has gone throughout church history that's been helpful, and it goes something like this. In essentials, unity, right? Love your neighbor as yourself, love the Lord God with all your heart, forgive one another, be compassionate, you know, abstain from immorality. We all understand those things, those are essentials. In non-essentials, liberty, there's freedom. In all things, charity or grace. How we handle ourselves with each other, are we, gracious people, and we're all going to come across tension, but don't be discouraged by the tension and don't run away from it, because let me teach you something. Every tension is an opportunity for traction. You like that? Come on, students, I know you like that. You like that alliteration. I had put some of that in this weekend. Every tension is an opportunity for traction. So before we try to just dissolve the tension, we need to be asking, how can we go forward with this in a way that really honors Christ and loves my neighbor well? Every tension is an opportunity for traction. We are in the book of 1 Corinthians. We are at the church in Corinth, which is arguably one of the most dysfunctional churches in the New Testament. And I'm glad that we have some of the writings to them because it helps to strengthen us where we are. Corinth was a well-off city. It was poised for commerce from uh, land and sea trade. Paul spent a little over a year there in his missionary endeavors. You had wealthy you had uh, impoverished, you had different socioeconomic, racial uh, divisions, Uh, you had different types of people in the church, you had conservative, you had liberal, and you had people who had come to Christ, you had Jewish people, and you had Greek people, all in the body of Christ, and what's going on in the context is that you have people that are expressing their freedom And their authenticity in such a way that is hurting or offending somebody else and it's causing division. Thank God we're all past that, right? (laughs) That that's over and done with. And one of the challenges that they were facing was something like this. There was a marketplace called a Masellum. I have a picture of it here for you. It's a macellum and it's an open air marketplace and what would happen is that the people would go to this marketplace to get their produce, right? Much like a farmer's market. They would go to this place to get their produce but they would also go there to get meat. And one of the challenges that they were experiencing in the church was that there were over 12 temples, 12 different temples to different gods and goddesses in the city of Corinth. It had a very pagan background. And what they had was different temples, and they would worship different idols, and they would take that meat, and they would slaughter the animal, and they would sacrifice that meat to that idol in that temple, and then they would take that meat out to be sold in the marketplace, and people would buy it. Well, the Christians in the church were coming to buy that meat, and some of them, they didn't know, is this meat been sacrificed to an idol? Was it used to worship a false god? And they didn't know where it would come from and they couldn't know. And so many of them, because they couldn't know and because they they had a conscience that said, I can't do that, they abstained from eating that meat because they couldn't know. But some people said, well, there's no really such thing as a false god or an idol. We know that God's the one true God. I can eat the meat and we can eat the meat. Let's don't make a really big deal out of it. You guys are being too sensitive. And so they were going ahead and they were eating the meat. And it might sound really foreign, but this was a big issue for them. And people with maybe a sensitive conscience or a high level of self-awareness, high sensitivity, they said, that's offensive. I can't do it. And so you have this one type of person partaking in their freedom, but that freedom was hurting the other person, and there was pain, and there was division in the church. And so what do we do? And Paul tells us one of the things that we think about when we're going forward with Christian liberties is that we are free. One Corinthians 8.4 says this. He says, so then about eating food sacrificed to idols, we know that an idol is nothing at all in the world and that there is no God but one. But not everyone possesses this knowledge. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat sacrificial food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to a God and since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. Did you see that? Did you see even maybe where Paul places himself? He says, guys, we know that there's no such thing as an idol, the earth is the Lord's, everything is the Lord's, we know there's only one true God, Um, I can partake of the meat, I'm free to do that. I have resolved this in myself, that this is going to how how I can exercise my Christian liberty, that you are free to choose. And that's one of the things we first have to know about Christian liberty. Jesus sets us free to choose. He sets us free to choose. Because we don't want to be people, especially today, especially today. It's an outrage culture. It's a cancel culture. If you say the wrong thing, if you imply the wrong thing, social media, people get outraged, they'll cancel you, they'll unfriend you, I'm not friends with them anymore because they said this and that lets me know everything I need to know about that person. And you get written off and you get pigeonholed, maybe you don't have the context to say what you really meant and there's such a culture of fear in that and so we get this We get this panic of, well, I don't even know if I can say what I really think or be who I really am because I'm held hostage in this culture of fear. I'm held hostage by what other people might think about me. And one of the things we need to know is that Jesus sets us free in these areas to choose And I don't know if you're anything like me, but 10 years ago, I felt freedom to choose one way, and 10 years later, I feel freedom to choose another. So things change as you grow. Things change as you grow. You don't have to be locked in where you are now. Listen to 1 Corinthians 10. Listen to what he says. Eat anything sold in the meat market without raising questions of conscience, for the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. If an unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever is put before you without raising questions of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then don't eat it. But why? Here's, here's what's really, really important. Why? Both for the sake of one who told you and for the sake of conscience. Whose? I'm referring to the other person's conscience, not yours. For why is my freedom being judged by another's conscience? If I take part in the meal with thankfulness, why am I denounced? Because of something I thank God for. This is what Paul says. Paul had to wrestle with this a lot. This is an issue that happened in, not only in 1 Corinthians, but also in Romans, and he labeled it in Romans 14, the stronger brother and the weaker brother. You have the stronger brother whose conscience isn't kind of um, so sensitive, and they're not bound by all of these, it's got to be like this, and clear cut, and all these rules and regulations, and they say, no, I'm free to do this, but then you have this uh, other type of conscience that says, no, I, I need a lot more clarity on this. It has, you have to tell me exactly how to live this out. And you might say, well, how do I know what I am? I'm not sure. It may differ in different situations. One of the cautions for people with very sensitive consciences that really like things black and white, though, one of the cautions cautions is, and and maybe one of the the, litmus tests for us, is we can get kind of judgy. We can get judgy of other people. Because... You know, we, we, we know exactly how it's supposed to work. As Trevor said a few weeks ago, you know, maybe there's some wrongness in my rightness. But I think things are really clear. And this person over here, they're exercising their freedom in a certain way that I don't think they should, so I can get a little judgy. But maybe you're the type of personality, you say, well, no, I feel the freedom and I'm not really worried about what other people think about me. You see, you have the people pleaser. Any of you struggle with that? I'm really concerned about what you're gonna think, so I don't want to offend, and I'm just gonna kinda hold everything in. But then you have people who don't struggle with that. And as I sat there in that meeting, and as they sat there in the high school with the two faculty, we knew we were free. We knew this was a non-essential. We both, we all, all three of us knew together this was a gray area, and we were all free. They were free to have that standard. They're absolutely free. Absolutely free to say this is what we expect of our students and here's how we're gonna run our school, and anybody that comes in, we want you to submit to those standards. Completely free to do that without judgment. I'm absolutely free. I'm absolutely free to express myself in the ways that I had chosen to express myself. They're free and I'm free, we're free. I'm free to say, you know what? I don't know if we should go forward anymore. I don't think this is gonna work out between us. They're free to say, you know what? I don't know if this, is, if this is gonna work out between us. I don't know if we should go forward anymore. We're all free. Jesus sets us free to choose. He sets us free. What I'm not free to do, what I wouldn't be free to do, is to say, all right, I hear your standard, and then show up and not submit to it and cause offense. That's what I'm not free to do. We were all free to make any of those choices beforehand. What I'm not free to do is to exercise my freedom in such a way that hinders the message of the good news of Jesus. You see what I mean? What I'm not free to do is to say, well, it's about me and my self-expression and my authenticity, so I'm really committed to that, and I'm gonna kinda like, you know, snow you on the side and then I'm gonna show up and this is who I just have to be. I have to be me and you have to get over it. I'm not free to do that. Now this is hard and I wanna be sensitive. This is, this is challenging because we are at a different place, culture wise, when it comes to the question of authenticity. Because I think in a formerly generations, this wasn't as high of a value, so to speak, but now in the next generation, authenticity and self-expression and branding yourself is a super high value, that authenticity has been elevated so high to almost a new ethic, that I just have to stay true to me. I just have to stay faithful to who I am, and everyone else, they can just get over it, so I can say whatever I want to. I can be whoever I want to. I can post whatever I want to. And Jesus does set us free to choose. But that's not where the story stops. There's always that next step of tension. And it goes something like this. Jesus sets us free to choose self-sacrifice. Jesus sets us free to choose self-sacrifice. Listen to this passage. It's the other side of the coin. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone with a weak conscience sees you with all your knowledge eating in an idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? This is what he's saying. He says if the person who hasn't resolved this within themselves, they're just not there. They've had to resolve it differently and they're abstaining from this. But if they see a Christian brother or sister who has resolved it differently and they're not conscience stricken, they're free to do that, then they might try to do something that is not helpful for them. They might try to jump start or jump over in an area of growth that they're not really ready for. They're not there yet, and they may never get there, and Paul says one of the damages to them is that they haven't resolved this in themselves, and they'll sin against their conscience. They'll break their conscience, and he goes on to say, Won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother or sister, now weak doesn't mean immature. It just means that it's something about the sensitivity of their conscience. For whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against them in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause them to fall. Sharp words, harsh words, words that create tension, tension that most likely will continue until Jesus comes back. Jesus sets us free to choose. Jesus sets us free to choose self-sacrifice. And so there's a dance, there's a constant dance with relationships, with different people and in different situations. And we as Christians, we gotta be light on our feet. I don't exactly have two left feet, but I'm not gonna dance up here for you. We gotta be, no, I won't. (laughs) The student said, go for it. We gotta be light on our feet and able to navigate different types of situations with different people with grace because this is what Paul says. He says, when you sin against them in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. What he's really saying and hear me, is to wound an image bearer is to wound the image maker. To wound an image bearer is to wound the image maker. You remember all the way back in Genesis chapter six, Genesis chapter six through nine, it's the story of Noah and the flood. And it's one of the only places in the Bible, in Genesis chapter six, where he says that God was grieved in his heart about humanity. He was brokenhearted about humanity. Now why would God be brokenhearted about humanity? Because in Genesis chapter one, He says, I have given you dominion over all the earth and you are to steward my kingdom of love, justice, and mercy to every corner and every square inch of this earth and it is to be a shalom-filled world. And yet in Genesis chapter four, we see murder. In Genesis chapter five and six, violence done to others, oppression, systemic violence. And what you have is image bearers, wounding other image bearers so much that it is wounding God. It's wounding the heart of God and he's grieved. Friends, some of you have been hurt in some some different ways, some really unspeakable ways, some really evil ways. Some things have been said to you, some things have been done to you, some things have happened to you and you carry a deep, gashing wound, and I want you to know, especially in this Lenten season as we're looking forward to the cross, that Jesus shares that wound with you. He doesn't stand outside and aloof. He doesn't just sit over here and weep for you, and oh, I'm sorry, it must be so bad. He enters into those wounds with you, and he shares those wounds because to wound an image bearer is to wound the image maker. But Paul uses this as a bit of a sharp challenge for us in our decision making to really be thoughtful of how we're impacting other people. I have an illustration I would like to show us today. If I could invite my friends uh, Grace Marie and Alex and Molly to come on out. Hey guys, give them a hand, (laughs) give them a hand. You know them, you love them. Now, check this out. Just keep your hands down to your side for now. I will ask you to do something in a moment, but just keep your hands down to your side. This is how we often think of our relationship to Jesus in the West, and, I, and, and, and it's not our fault. It's just how we grew up, and I taught this to the students, and uh, so it's gonna be a little bit of a recap. We often read the New Testament, and when we read the Bible, especially when it comes to our relationship to Christ and commands, and we tend to think that it's all about me and Jesus, like this is it. This is what faith looks, looks like. This is what holiness or piety looks like. It's about just having a devotion time or a prayer time, and it's about me and Jesus. And so we have Grace Marie in a relationship with her and Jesus and Alex in a relationship, and it's just him and Jesus and Molly in a relationship, and it's just her and Jesus. But I will tell you what, friends, that is not how the Bible works that is not how God sees us. It's actually completely different. God is a good Southerner. Let me hear you say, "Hey y'all." Hey, That's right. That sounds very nice. Paul was a good Southerner too, cuz I'm listen to this. I'm going to teach you something, and I want it to lodge in your brain like a splinter so that every time you hear a talk or look at the Bible, this is what you're thinking about almost every single time that you see this pronoun you and we think singular, in the original languages, it's almost always plural. It's y'all, it's y'all. It's not you all, like people in the north say, that's crazy. That's not even, that's not even close to right. Use guys, it's y'all. So when Paul, if you're from the north, I apologize, I'm not, not using my Christian liberty to offend you. So when you read this passage and he says, when you sin against them in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ, he's really saying this, when y'all sin against them in this way. He sees us as an ecosystem that is interdependent on each other. And so what I want you to do is just reach out and touch the shoulder with your right hand. Now listen, this is how God sees us. This This is why gossip, This is why slander, let's just get real broad here and real real for just a few minutes. This is why backbiting, this is why sharing sensitive and intimate information behind somebody's back, this is why it's so destructive to the community because you might think, well, I shared something with Grace Marie about Molly, and that's just between me and Grace, but I shared something and I gossiped about her and it's hurtful to Molly, but I just shared with Grace. It's only between us, right? It's not. Because guess what, I sinned against Grace, first of all. And who's Grace in relationship with? Well, she's in relationship with Alex. So even if she doesn't share that same sentiment, even if she doesn't pass on that information, it's impacted her in a way that's possibly immeasurable, but it's now impacted their relationship. And guess who Alex is in relationship with? He's in relationship with Molly. And guess who that impacts? Even if the information wasn't shared, it impacts Molly. And guess who Molly's in a relationship with? She's in relationship with me. And when God looks at us, he does not look at us as individuals. We are, it is not just simply me and Jesus. And so therefore, the, if, if that's true, then the story stops that I'm free to choose. But if God sees us as an interconnected, interdependent community, then it goes on and I'm free to choose self-sacrifice because guess what, I'm gonna teach you something else, I want it to lodge in there too. If I seek the flourishing and health of grace, Marie, that's gonna continue to impact and have residual effect upon all the community that she touches. When we seek the flourishing of the other with our freedom, it continues to impact others in their flourishing, and in their holistic growth towards becoming more Christ-like. Thank you guys so much, thank you, I appreciate you. God always looks at us as a collective. We are individuals as a part of a community. And so hear me on this, as opposed to just freedom and perhaps authenticity being the lenses through which we look to make our decisions, what if it was this, the highest ethic in the Bible as taught by Jesus is what? It's love. So for the sake of love, self-expression becomes self-sacrifice. For the sake of love, self-expression becomes self-sacrifice. And as I said, it's probably not a rigid thing that you just stay there in every situation with every person for all times. It's a dance. It's a dance that you have got to be light on your feet and discerning about. For the sake of love, self-expression becomes self-sacrifice. We are all back full circle to where we started, 1 Corinthians 10, 23. I have the right to do anything you say. Yes, that's true, because Jesus sets you free to choose. But not everything is beneficial. beneficial. I have the right to do anything, you say. Yes, that's true, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. And I wonder what the body of Christ might look like if we use our freedom to seek the others flourishing. What the body of Christ might look like if we use our freedoms to seek the others flourishing. Flourishing. So I sat in that meeting, and I know you've been waiting. I created tension for you. What did he do? I sat in that meeting, and I looked at them, and I know some of their students, and I know their school. And I thought about the opportunity to build relationships with their students. And I thought about the opportunity, not that I'm an incredible speaker and they deserve to hear me and all of that because that's nonsense. But I thought about the opportunity to influence them for the sake of Christ. And I thought about the opportunity to share what I think God has shown me in their lives. And I thought this, I will happily cover up my tattoos and I will happily Take out my piercings when I show up to your community of faith because that's not as important as my relationship with these students and seeing them grow in Christ. And we have this opportunity to use our freedom to seek others flourishing. And I'll tell you right now. I have gotten notes from some of those kids. It's been a good three-year relationship. They asked me about two to three times a semester to come out. I have gotten some, some, hey, we love your spunky sermon notes from some of those kids to quote some of them, and they send me letters, and they say, hey, please come to our Christmas chapel and do some of that poetry thing that you do, and please do a special thing, and it's such a wonderful, uh, trusting relationship with them because I'm gonna lay down my freedom to seek your flourishing, and guess what? It comes back. When we seek the others flourishing, it comes right back onto us. We get it tenfold right back to us. It's a mutual gift to us. This is why Paul says at the very end of this, at the very end, and and many of you will know this verse, at the very end of this whole three chapter treatise, he says this, so whether you eat or you drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. The guiding principle for the Christian freedom is is this going to glorify God and build up my neighbor? Can I use my freedom to seek the others flourishing? And where do we get this from? We look at the cross. We look at the cross and we see Jesus with all the freedom of God, submit himself to death, submit himself to torture, submit himself to psychological and spiritual torment, and lay down his freedom so that we might flourish. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you so much that you are a God of freedom, that you are a God of liberty, that you are a God who says, I have given you some really broad stroke brushes of how to live in my kingdom. And I would love for you to use creativity and discernment and brainstorming and all of your genius to figure out how to live well and how to function. But you're also a God who restrained your freedom and you went to the cross and you suffered death and you knew that the only real way to resurrection life was through the sacrifice of the cross. And not only did you do that on our behalf and the whole world, but you've set that as a template for your followers to say, if you want to be like me, this is the sacred rhythm, death and resurrection, death and resurrection, death and resurrection. So God, we need your strength, we need your grace, we need your power, help us use our freedom to seek the others flourishing, that we may give all glory to you